I can remember praying at night, asking God, like, please, God, if you just take me out of this situation, like, I will forever believe in you. I will always listen to what you have to say. And just crying in the bathroom after I would shower because that was the only place I had privacy and just begging God, like, to just take me out of the situation. Hi. Hi. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you so much for coming on. I am really, really excited to share your testimony because I know it's going to be so impactful for the women who have walked in the shoes that you're walking in. And I just thank you. I know that this is not super easy to do. And the fact that you showed up is huge. So, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to share it and um, just, it's, it's good for me too, because getting to talk about it and remind myself how far I've come and everything that I've done is, is super important to do. Amen. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. So the, the podcast is called the day before it happened, Mm -hmm. because in the beginning, I really wanted to like, start with like, tell us what life was like before this awful thing. Mm -hmm. And I quickly realized like, God, like we all, we always have to go like all the way back to the beginning because so many things shaped us mm-hmm. and got us to like the day before it happened. Yeah. So take us back. Okay. Just start from the beginning. All right. So I was born in Dothan, Alabama in 1997. So I'm hey. a little young. But um, so I was born to my mom and dad and my dad was in the military. They met in the military Um, They had my sister first. I've got an older sister. Um, And they were living in Dothan. I lived there until I was two. And then my parents got a divorce. Um, My dad took me and my sister back to Texas here to live um, with my grandparents and him. And so from the time I was two until I um, finished first grade, I lived in Midland. Um, same house, same, I mean, I still, my grandparents still live in the same house that I grew up in. Um, so that's super cool. Yes. Um, when I, throughout like growing up, my dad started seeing somebody else. Um, so that ended up being my stepmom. And, um, after I finished the first grade, my dad was finishing, um, a tour in Iraq. I think it was Iraq. Um, and, when he came back, he decided that they were going to get married, and so they got married, and then after he let me finish first grade, and then um, after first grade, he said that he was going to take me and my sister to go live with um, my stepmom and her kids where they had gotten stationed in Fort Riley, Kansas. So typically while he was gone, you were with grandparents. Yes, I was with my grandparents. And this is when we transitioned into... St- st- but only stepmom and he was gone or were you with them both no for a while? I was with them both okay. um so we move in July of that year um after I finished um school we moved that summer in July I was with my dad from July until December okay. um in December he got stationed in Korea and so that's kind of when um so that's kind of when the abuse started happening was after my dad left. Yeah. 
Um, I was an overweight kid, a chubby little, you know, six-year-old kid. Yeah, um, kid. And that really bothered them that I was overweight. Okay. Um, so, of course, the first thing that was used against me was food. Um, I wasn't able to get a snack when I wanted. I wasn't able to eat certain foods, you know, because I was overweight. So I was basically put on a diet at six. And um, so after my dad left, my weight just started dropping. I went from like 90 pounds to 60 pounds in probably three months. By Easter, I was like skin and bones. And we came back to Midland um, to celebrate Easter with my grandparents and um, my grandparents knew something was going on, but they just didn't have proof of it. And they didn't want to mess up the relationship with my dad. So they just kind of didn't say anything. You know, I couldn't say anything, obviously, because my stepmom's there the whole time. And so... Um, was she just like a... Hub- was, was she almost like all over you? Because... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you- I think she knew that... I had, I had always been outspoken. I had gone to Rays of Hope from the time I was four, um, working on, like, talking about things and working through trauma already because my parents' divorce was really traumatic for me. Um, and so she knew that I was outspoken, and so she tried to stifle it and just would hover and make sure she was always in the room with me, that I wasn't ever alone without her. You know, I wasn't in the room with my grandparents by myself. No opportunity to ever say something was going on yeah well that's a good red flag to share with the world yeah for sure um and I look back now and I'm just like I wish someone would have just straight up asked me are you okay like is something going on like you are you don't fit in any of your clothes you're this tiny little thing now like I even looking back at pictures you know I can show you a picture from before I left and then I can show you a picture right after I came back and I mean, my shoulder blades are showing and my collarbones are showing and I, my jawline is just super defined because I just had lost so much weight so fast. Mm-hmm. And then after we left from visiting for Easter is more when the physical abuse started. So at the, before this, it was it was mental, mostly mental abuse and, you know, withholding food and things like that. Um, but after Easter is kind of, is mostly when the physical abuse started, um, just getting spanked, but not spanked, you know, not, not a yeah. spanking. And then one, the worst night was, um, it was this, it was spring and, um, of all things, I w- was supposed to be watching the hot dogs. She was cooking hot dogs, like boiling hot dogs. And um, my stepbrother had a friend over. And um, so we are all kind of doing our own thing, but she had assigned me to watch the hot dogs so they didn't boil over. Well, I'm seven now, okay, so a seven-year-old, whatever. Um, I can watch the hot dogs, but there was cartoons on. So, of course, I'm sitting on the couch. I'm watching cartoons. So she comes down and just starts screaming and she's like you let the hot dogs boil over dinner's ruined because of you all this and just going at me about boiled hot dogs and basically what had happened was all the water had boiled out but the hot dogs were fine but all the water had boiled out well I don't 
I don't know that it's I didn't know that was going to happen as a kid. I thought the water was going to stay in there. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I'll just go check Make on sure it. Doesn't yeah, go over. Right. Top. Yeah. Sure, okay. And so that led into the next four or five hours of just horrific name calling and hitting and being made to stand in a corner with no food while everybody else is eating and I'm having to watch them eat and just getting beat with belts because I, I had lost so much weight that I was having to wear belts with all my clothes and so I was leaving my belts on my clothes and, and I guess that just really pissed her off because um, she had been like collecting them in the laundry room and she goes and she said what did I tell you about leaving your belts on your pants and so she takes all of them I don't remember how many exactly I've always said it was like 10 probably 10 um, and just starts whipping me with them over and over on the back on the head pulls me up by my hair just screaming at me and all the while my sister's watching all this happen you know her kids don't really care but my sister of course she had she had done such a good job of creating a separation between me and my sister but not good enough that my sister didn't care sure so she's standing you know she's watching all this happen so she's can't do anything yeah she feels helpless she's traumatized yeah yeah and so that night she made me call my dad tell him what I had done which was let the hot dogs boil over and leave leave my belts on my pants and of course you know what always gets me is that he says to this day that I never called him but I know you know like you know in yourself your truth and of course this is my truth and I called him because what kid is not going to remember a bad parent phone call like that sure to have to call your parent and tell them all this bad quote-unquote bad stuff that you've done and you remember hearing his voice yes I remember and I and I remember him saying you know like well you you shouldn't have done that basically like I'm assuming she downplayed this oh yeah she didn't beat you in the way that she beat you she gave you a spanking yeah right and of course I couldn't tell my dad that she had at the time yeah, yeah at the time yeah that she had basically whipped me with belts and and so you know all this is happening the next morning, I'm still not allowed to eat. She, you know, I go to get I go to get something to eat, and she's like, "What are you doing?" She was like, "You need to feed the dogs," and so the dogs got to eat before, before I did. And so, fast forward to that summer. So this is probably the end of spring, and then that summer, my grandparents had decided that you know my dad was still stationed overseas. So they were going to come get me and my sister for the summer and let us have a summer with them. So the very first night, um, I'll never forget, my brother and my sister and I, we all go down to the pool. I have an, I have an older brother. Um, so he's with us, and I go down to the pool, and let me, let me backtrack real quick. Sure. Let me backtrack. I... Because I want to, I want to share how what my relationship with God was like at the time all of this was happening. Because even as a seven-year-old, I had a relationship with God. I had grown up in the church. I was going through all of these things, and I I can remember praying 
at night asking God, like, please, God, if you just take me out of this situation, like, I will forever believe in you. I will always listen to what you have to say. And just crying in the bathroom after I would shower because that was the only place I had privacy and just begging God, like, to just take me out of the situation. Like, it was such a bad situation. And and I can still feel those same feelings. Like, my body's, like, I can feel how tense I am just talking about it because yeah. I'm back in that same place that I was when it was happening. Um, but just, and even at seven years old, I was looking out of the second story window saying, well, I can jump. I can jump from this window and, you know, God will protect me. God will, God will keep me safe because he's going to, he wants me out of this situation. And so I'm just going to jump out of my window Yeah. and whatever happens happens, but it's better than being in the situation I'm in right now. Yeah. Wow. And so just thinking back to that, I, I had put all my trust in God that he was going to get me out of the situation. But then as you're in your kid mind, it doesn't happen instantly. So you're like, God, you're letting me down. Yeah. Instead of, you know, now I'm like, God's got your three answers. Yes, no, and wait. At the time, his answer was wait. Right. But my seven-year-old self was like, you saw, you're telling me no? Yeah. You're I'm telling me that, this. yeah, you're telling me you're not going to get me out of this situation that I'm in when this yeah. awful thing is happening to me. Right. And so it kind of, at at that age, it kind of deterred my, my relationship with him a little bit because... Sure. God didn't take me out of, in, in, in my head at the time, you know, God didn't take me out of that situation. Yeah. So now we're in the summer and my brother and I, my sister and I were all down in a hotel swimming pool. My grandparents have gotten us from school. I had never felt so much relief getting picked up from school by then the last day of school, because I knew that at least for a little bit, I was going to get some relief. Yeah. And so, um, my little little did my sister and I know my grandparents had told my brother you know if if your sisters tell you anything that has happened to them because they knew something was happening if your sisters tell you anything that's happened to them you promise that you're not going to tell anybody but you immediately come and you and you tell us what's happened and so I just I I wanted to tell someone so badly and it was my first opportunity because she worked at the school that I went to so there was no opportunity going to school that I could tell anybody at school. Wow. And so this was like our first real opportunity to tell someone what had happened and know that we were going to be safe. So I immediately tell my brother everything that's happened. And my sister, of course, you know, he's looking at her like, you know, is this true? Is, is And she, of course, corroborates the story that, yes, this is what's happened to her. This is what's happened to us. Like, we need help and so my brother goes back up and and tells my grandparents what we had said and and they didn't say anything to us for a while we we went on our vacation like normal because my brother had said he wasn't going to tell anybody so they wanted to keep you know but all the while they're making phone calls probably and and getting in contact with people to figure out what they can do to help us um so we go on our vacation. It's like a two-week vacation. It was the best vacation of my life, and probably because I had just gone through all of this terrible stuff. Yeah. And then to be with people that really loved me and, and getting to spend that time and all the, make all these memories. 
And so we get back to Midland um, right before July 4th. And um, my grandparents pull me and my sister into their office and they're like, okay, like, tell us, tell us what happened. And so we tell them and they say, you know, you have two options. We can, we can fight for custody of y'all or, you know, you can go back and, and, you know, be with them and be with your dad and, and have that life that I had always wanted. You know, I had always wanted to be with my dad, to have a family like a normal right. mom and dad family with brothers and sisters. And and so I was really torn, but, you know, we ultimately decided, no, like, we need your help. Well, and this was his parents, yes, right? Yes, this so was my this dad's was gonna parents. Be, this was going to be hard. Yeah. And they said, you know, we're willing to lose our son to protect y'all. Wow. Yeah. And I will never be able to say thank you enough to them for losing their son to gain two granddaughters that they didn't have to take in. Yeah. Um, they didn't have to do anything like that. They didn't have to protect us. Um, but they they stepped up when my when my dad didn't. Yeah. Because when we told my dad what happened, he didn't believe us. He said that that never happened. He he said that my grandparents brainwashed and coached me and my sister into what to say. So that they could have you. So wow. that they could have us. So That's they could steal like us. That's almost like re-victimizing yeah. you oh, in yeah. a way. And even to this day, I mean, th that's why I, I don't have a relationship with my dad anymore. Um, I've put up that boundary and gone no contact. Because even to this day, it was it was like victim blaming and yeah. saying that I, I made all of it up and that none of it was true and none of it happened. And Was she was she abusing her own kids? No. Wow. Just me. Ew. Not even my sister. Just me. And we think I mean, I've I've done a lot of like therapy and, and things to work through it. And and the only thing we can figure out is that I was outspoken. I was smart. I, you know, I loved life and she just fed on yeah. on that yeah. and and wanted to do anything that she could to power and control. Yeah, power yeah. and control and just have all of it and be this just this monster. I mean, that's the only way I can describe her is even I mean and and my sister does have a relationship with my dad and her. Um, they live very close to each other. My sister lives in Michigan, um, and my dad lives in Kentucky, so they're very close um, living-wise. And I think as much as I've always wanted a relationship with my dad, I've done so much therapy work that I realized that he will never change. Um he will always believe what he, he has his truth and I have my truth. And even though his truth is a lie, yeah. that's what he believes. And I'll never be able to change his mind. I'll never be able to. Um, yeah. That's I'll never get an you. apology. I'll never get an I'm sorry or I believe you. And I had to finally accept that I was never going to get that yeah. and move that's on. That's super hard. It is. It's. It was one of the hardest things I had to do when I blocked him on social media. And, I, you know, because I have a son. 
who will never know his his biological grandpa. Right. I mean, I have my grandparents who are his grandparents. Um, but, you know, and, and we don't even talk about him. You know, there's no, there's no grandpa. There's no, he's got my husband's grandparents or my husband's parents. Um, but that is a side of my life that he will never know because I don't want him to ever have to go through the experiences that I went through with the same people. Yeah. Not saying that, you know, obviously they say, oh, we've changed and, and we've, you know, we're better and we, you know, that's how they act. And, but I will never, ever allow my son to even be yeah. potentially let down. A, in that let way. down. Yeah. I don't want that. I don't want him to have the dis- same disappointment that I've gone through. Sure. So. So talk to me about after. So you got, they go at it, they get custody mm-hmm. of you. You end up with them. What are, I mean, obviously I feel like there's still side effects of this abuse and then your dad not being there and. Yeah. So, um, while we're, while we're going to court, um, we're, we're mandated to see a psychologist, um, who actually says that my sister has more psychological damage than I do, um, because she had to watch it. Sure. Um, he definitely says that what had happened was real. So that kind of validated it for me because this whole time I'm being told that I'm a liar and I'm not being truthful and it's getting in my head. So then I start to get in my own head and I'm like, well, maybe it didn't happen that way. Maybe it, maybe I am off. Like, but then to have it validated by someone listening to my story and me telling them what happened and to be told like, I believe you was the biggest thing um, that kind of started my healing journey, my long, my long healing journey, because we started going to counseling um, at centers and started doing um, like kind of play therapy and and things like that. And then um, so we also go to Rays of Hope during all of this because that's that was the only place my grandma knew to take us to try and work through the grief and the abuse. And so we're every summer we're going to that. Um, but I've still, even to this day. So my, my stepmom drove a red minivan and even to this day, when I see a red minivan, I do a double take because it's like, is that her? And, and one day, this was probably mm, maybe a year after, um, I see a red minivan coming down our street, and it's her. And she has driven, she had been visiting, I guess, I think her sister or something in Wichita Falls, and had made the drive down. Oh and she's, and I'm just... I go in and immediately go in the house and I'm hiding. I am like cowering in fear of this person that has just, has changed my life forever already. But then it has the audacity to show up at my grandparents' house. Yeah. Knowing that what you did and like, so 
my grandma immediately calls the police. And we they have an officer come out. And, you know, I eventually get up the courage because she had our dog with her. Huh. And and looking back now, I'm like, she brought the dog as like a, you know, it looks like she brought the dog as like a ploy to, to get us to come. And so I'm out there petting the dog and she's telling me, you know, you can just say that all this was a lie, right? Mm. And I'm just thinking now, you know, looking back, I'm like, how manipulative. Sure. And to, to think to still try and have all the power mm -hmm. is just like is disgusting to me yeah. looking back at it you know to to try and manipulate a kid like that just so that everything would be dropped so i lived in fear for a really long time of red minivans of people with red hair um of anybody that looked like her. You know, I could be at the grocery store knowing that she's hundreds, thousands of miles away, but see somebody and just immediately like go into this fight or flight mode. Right. So we're working through all this and we're going through all this and the whole time like I'm kind of not really, like I'm going to church, but I'm not really... God had already let me down, so I wasn't really believing at that time, but I was going through the motions. And then I'm growing. As, as I'm growing, I'm pushing all these feelings down that I just don't want to deal with. Yeah. And I start to kind of develop some depression, but I didn't know at the time. You know, I'm, I'm 12 probably, and I don't know at the time that that's what's happening. I just know that I'm feeling different and I always have this awful feeling in the pit of my stomach and so I'm overweight again because food had been used against me so when I came back I started overcompensating for all the time that I hadn't eaten yeah. so I develop you know I'm overweight I don't really, I don't really feel like I fit in at school because all my friends have moms and dads and I've got my grandparents. Yeah. And I can remember going to the counselor's office in elementary school and, and talking to her about how badly I just wanted my mom and my dad to show up at an event because everyone else of my friends had a mom and a dad. Nobody's parents were divorced. Right. Nobody's Nobody lived with their grandparents. It was like almost unheard of at the time at least in my grade in my class that I ended up, you know, graduating and going through high school with. And so I just feel like an outsider. I feel lost. I feel like I'm having all these emotions and I don't know how to deal with them. And I don't talk to anybody about it because I want everyone, I've always wanted everyone to just think that I'm fine. So... I would say around 12, I was really starting to question God, question my beliefs, because why am I feeling this way? And I'm praying about it. I'm asking God about it, but he's not fixing me. And so I really started to lose my faith around that time because just uh, there was no movement. Yeah. But it, you know, and looking back now, it was it was that weight answer again. Sure. And so 
but also he I can see it now that he was pushing me to talk to somebody about it like that was his answer like you need to talk to somebody about it and I just pushed it away because I didn't know how to talk to anybody about the feelings I was having sure um so we're I'm in junior high I'm I'm doing um i'm managing basketball i'm like involved in sports i've got what i feel like is a really good group of friends and i remember telling my story to this group of friends that i thought was really close to me and one of them said you're a liar you're lying and that completely set me back in my in my journey junior high sets everybody back in their journey. I mean... It's the most brutal, Yeah, I think. I mean, I just... And I remember immediately going back into, like, my seven-year-old self, like, no, I'm not. I'm telling you the truth, like, reverting back to that little girl who just wanted someone to believe her. Right. And I had just shared this story and been vulnerable, and they're going to sit there and tell me that I'm a liar? Yeah. So... I never, I decided after that I would never share what had happened to me again with anybody. Yeah. Because I was not going to be called a liar because I knew my truth. And that hurt so, so deeply. And I'll never, and I'll never forget it. You know, it's one of those memories that will always stick with me, especially when I'm sharing my testimony and my story, because it was just like, gosh, another person. One more yeah. person, really? Yeah, and at that time, everything feels so big. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So we, we as in my family, we're going, it feels like we're just going through the motions, which looking back now, like, I, throughout growing up, I really had a good life with my grandparents. I mean, they provided everything. I had not a want. If I needed something, they got it for us, like, it was the best possible outcome from where I came from. Sure. And so we are just living life and we're going through it. And I'm feeling like I'm dying inside, but I'm putting on a good face for everybody on the outside. Yeah. And so when I was going into you no, know, my freshman year, I was already a freshman. Um, I got a group of friends and I, everything felt like it was going really good. And, and I hate, one of the biggest things I hate is being called a liar because I know that I'm always a hundred percent as truthful as I can be. And a situation had happened with this group of friends and I got called a liar. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the thing that severed the relationship with your dad. Yeah. So it's like, it's, that's it's a trigger. every time. That's yes, be a thing. it's my it's the trigger that. So, I just I was battling depression. I didn't know it was depression at the time, but I was battling depression. I was battling anxiety. The kids and this, are mean. And this group of friends, you know, one of them said that I was a liar, and. It just completely, it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. I had been fighting the depression and the anxiety for the last six months, eight months, 
I was self-harming. I was trying to hide it at school, but also wanting people to see it as like a cry for help, like just trying trying anything I could do to get attention to let somebody know that I was like dying inside. It was what it felt like. And so that summer um, after freshman, um, I we were at a baseball game. I got called a liar. I decided, you know what, I'm done with this group of friends. I'm done with all my friends. Um, I'm just going to, like, be solo for a while and do my own thing. And I, my family knew that I had kind of been self-harming, but they thought that I was done and, you know, was kind of past that. And so after that kind of incident, it kind of picked back up again because a trigger happened. And that was the only way I knew how to deal with the emotions that I was feeling. And so the summer's going on. I'm just kind of by myself. I'm not really doing much. And I'm still in contact with my dad at this point because I'm I'm in freshman. So I was still in contact with, with him. And we get on the phone and somehow the conversation turns to what had happened and he starts screaming at me and I'm bawling my eyes out and I'm I, I had reverted one of the things that I had to work through with my trauma was reverting back to that seven-year-old self and putting myself in a little kid's like mindset and so I'm like crying on the phone like daddy daddy like please just believe me like and my voice had changed like I was like this little girl again and he's just like basically I'll never believe you you're you know you are wrong this never happened and that night I decided that if my own dad doesn't believe me what's the point if I can't even get the one person that I want more than anything to love me, to love me 100% and, and believe what's happened to me, then what's the point? And I wrote a letter and I took all my passwords off my phone and I texted the couple friends that I had left and I took enough pills to kill probably three people. And I did not expect to wake up. And I and I and I remember praying to God, like, God, please let this work. Please let me not wake up because this pain is worse than anything. And um, God had other plans. <laughs> I always say that because around 3 a.m. that morning, I was puking my guts out. My body had rejected all the pills. Thank God. Um, and I woke up the next morning thinking that everything, I'll just play it off. You know, I'll throw this letter away. I'll put my password back on my phone. I'll hide the bottles. Like, it'll be fine. Well, I had told one of my like best friends at the time, I had told her what I did. And thank God, 
that she told her aunt what I had done, and her aunt found my grandparents' number in the phone book. There were still phone books. That's it's not even that long ago, but there was a phone book, and they found my grandparents' number in the phone book, and she called my grandma and told her what I had done. And I'm sitting at the kitchen table shaking because I know what's coming. And she gets off the phone, and she's like, what happened? And I told her, you know, I tried to kill myself last night. And I told them, and, you know, she's crying because she's just so devastated that this has happened. Nobody knows that I've been going through all this this whole time. They knew that I was, you know, depressed. They knew that um, I had, I was recovering from self-harming, but they had no idea that I had had these plans for months to to try and take my life and so my grandpa is livid he I remember I mean he 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 threw my phone because that was like my main thing of my life was my phone he throws my phone he's like what in the world were you thinking and I was like I wasn't thinking you know because I wasn't it was it was like all the thinking had been done this was no thinking. This was just action. Yeah. And so um, they call our pastor at the time. And our pastor comes over. And he's starting to talk to me. and Or no, sorry. Let me backtrack. She calls our pastor. But while we're waiting on the pastor to come, the she like has called my uncle and my family and has kind of told them what's happening. So he comes over to the house and I'm actually outside talking to him. And I just feel my chest just start getting super tight and it's hard to breathe. And I'm like talking to him and I'm like gasping for air. And so he rushes me inside and I'm like not breathing. And my grandma knows enough with CPR and and medical stuff. She does like a sternum rub on me to try and like get me to breathe. And they call 911. And I I remember some of it. I was sort of lucid, but I was basically dying. I had taken so much Tylenol that it was shutting down my liver and my organs and so they rushed me to the hospital and they um it's it's been too long since i took the medicine for them to pump my stomach so i have to do another option which is just basically something to detox my body from all the medication and so i'm doing that it's awful i'll never forget it it smelled and tasted like rotten eggs it was not like not worth not worth it looking back you know and so um the pastor ends up meeting us at the hospital and I remember him praying over me and um basically like telling the devil to leave because that's that's how everyone felt like what was happening is the devil this was the devil's work and and so I can remember him praying over me and I end up going to Oceans for a week and getting just put on a bunch of different medication. And 
then I'm released and I tell everybody that I'm doing so much better. But then by before, so this was July and before school even started in August, I was back in the hospital. Um, and I had requested to go back because I just felt like I was not safe and that was the safest place for me. And so I missed the beginning of my sophomore year. Um, but I come back after the first week and I go through high school. And I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I Is it the people? Is it, I mean, do you feel like you were bullied in high school? It, I definitely was bullied. Um online and in person um and there was this group oh man i remember every day i would beg my grandma not to make me go back to school after lunch because there was this one group of girls that i would have to walk past and they would viciously just make fun of me say rude comments you know never like physical bullying but it was just emotional bullying oh which is which is just as bad. And so every day I would have to walk past them and I was super self-conscious about my body. I'm still overweight and now I'm on all these medications which are causing me to like retain water and look bigger than I actually am. But nobody knows that. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody knows that every single day that I wake up I'm literally like fighting to get out of bed every morning. And so I'll never forget, I had finally told a teacher, um, my favorite teacher, and I'm actually friends with them on Facebook to this day. Um, I told them what was happening and they kind of devised a plan amongst the social studies teachers and they were gonna wait behind like a wall and I was gonna walk past and they were gonna see if these girls said anything to me and um, sure enough, they said something. And they come out, the teachers come out from behind the wall and kind of come to my rescue and just say like, you're not gonna speak to her that way. You're not gonna talk to her about her that way. You know, the next time that we hear of this happening, you're going straight to the office. And I think, I guess that did the trick because, and then also they started letting me come in a different door which also kind of saved me because the class I would go to after lunch was at the end of the hall, but the doors were always locked unless you had someone open them for you. So I would have to go in the main doors and walk past them to go to the end of the hall. And so they kind of allowed me to text them when I was there and they would open the door for me. Golly. So that I, had I hope they see this and they feel really small for having done that. Like yeah. You cannot treat people like that. Yeah. You have no idea what is going on. A person could be right there on the edge. This could be life or death. Yeah. Like, stop it. Words cut deeper than knives sometimes. Yeah. yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I hope they see this. I do too. <laughs> part really. of me is like, yes, I hope they do. And then part of me is like. I hope they're better. Yeah. Trying to be the bigger person always and hoping that they are living their best lives, doing whatever they set their minds to do, yeah. um, because I'm over here living my best life despite everything that I've yeah. gone through and endured. So I 
go through high school. We don't know if I'm going to graduate. I almost switched. I almost end up switching schools because it's just so bad. Um, and so I graduate. Congratulations. Thank you. And I decide that I'm going to go to college. Um, I, cause you know, uh, if you go through a Midland school, you get the two free years at Midland college yeah. and all, everybody else is moving away and I want to move away so bad, but looking back, I'm so glad I didn't because I was just never in a place to be a hundred percent on my own. Yeah. Um, during my like time going to college. And so I go and I hate it (laughs) (laughs) looking back now like it and I like I'll like see my like snapchat memories or my facebook memories and I am like struggling like just I I looked at one today and it was like does someone want to finish the semester for me because it was just like I had just spent the last four years basically surviving yeah. And then I jumped right into college. And so I'm having a hard time. Yeah. I'm having a hard time. But nobody knows I'm having a hard time. Always. I'm just keeping it to myself. And when I start going to college, I stop going to church. Yeah. So that's not helping either. Yeah. No structure. No support. Yeah. No nothing. No adult. No like youth leader to look to or, yeah. you know, like. I'm just these are the keys. Yes. These are the things that we want to take away from this experience is yes. find your people. Yes. Talk to someone. Reach out. Find community. Exactly. I hope that's what this show does, honestly. It's just community, people, support, hope. Just talk to I mean, even if you think you can't talk to somebody, there's somebody you can talk to somewhere. Yeah that is going to listen and understand and believe you yes because sometimes that's all people want is just to be believed yeah and it took like finding a really good therapist and having that as part of my support system and then of course my family yeah i would not have graduated high school without my grandma she was the best partner the best um you know tutor tutor the best everything um she sat up with me to finish stuff she helped me do stuff sometimes i mean she was my biggest cheerleader and supporter and even to this day she's my biggest supporter and thank you will never be enough to cover what she did for me yeah um so i decide after two years at Midland College that I'm going to go to Sol Ross in Alpine. Um, the only good thing that came out of that was I met some some of the best people okay. that I'm still friends with today. Um, but it was a year that I wasted. Yeah, and okay. I the whole time, you know, my grandma's like, find a church to go to there. Find a church. You know, like, or, or I was driving back on the weekends a lot. She's like, just drive back and come on Sunday with us, you know? And I'm just, like, pushing it away, pushing it away. Because at some point, I started being happy in my sadness. Yeah. 
you know, as weird as that sounds, sure. but um, it was almost like I was so comfortable being depressed and anxious all the time that I didn't want to be anything else because all I knew was being depressed. Yeah. And so um, I start not going to class and partying and just doing anything that I can do to numb the pain. Because I'm still having this pain, you know, I, I living in Midland, it was fine because I had my family support, but then moving off two hours away somewhere where I had nothing and nobody and I had to create an, my own self and who I was for all these different people. Yeah. Um, I put on a really good show for them, but on the inside it was, yeah, it was fake. Yeah. Same. Back to the same. And then pouring a <clears throat> depressant. Yeah. On a depressing situation. Not good. Yeah. Not good. No. So I, during this time, though, I do meet my current husband. Hey, shout out. Shout out. Shout out to Dustin, um, who we meet on Facebook. He slides into my DMs. Hey. He's like, hey, my name's Dustin. I just want to let you know that you're beautiful. Yeah. And Great job. I didn't even respond. I had okay. my friend respond for me <laughs> um, and was like, thank you so much. And I knew he was going to message me because he had been like hearting all my pictures. Mm. And we had one mutual friend that I was going to school with. So that's why he added me. So it wasn't like a rando, like we yeah. had no mutual friends. We had one. Yeah. Um, but so we started dating in November. So I started going to school in August. We started dating in November. We met for the first time in December. And he kind of ignited something in me that he still ignites to this day. Like just anytime I was with him was just such happiness, like pure happiness, not yeah. fake, not putting on a show it was like genuine happiness yeah and um, safe and you could yeah start opening up and sharing yes. all these things that you'd been keeping yes and in. I did share things with him that I probably would never have shared except for the fact that he made me feel safe yeah and he took everything that I told him and just loved me even more and so we're dating and I decide hmm he can come live with me in my apartment well my grandparents catch wind of that and they are not too happy because I was raised a Christian yeah. and as a Christian you know we're taught you don't live with somebody that you're not married to yeah and so it was kind of like you can live this lifestyle or you can have our help. And I chose to live that lifestyle. Yeah. And so I, they were helping me with a lot, a lot of stuff, um, paying for mo basically everything that I had. And I had a credit card and I had a phone and I had my car. And yeah. so they're like, well, if, if you're choosing this, then you're cut off, you yeah. know? And that was a hard, I know that was hard for them to do. Yeah. But at the same time, they were trying to make sure I was safe and that I was being the best version of myself that I could be. And at the time, I didn't see that. So, of course, I took 
the wrong path, yeah. the un the unchristian path, because that's my boyfriend. Like we're having fun, <laughs> like you know. Yeah. And so, um, I end up. I'm still living at Sol Ross. It's a good learning experience. It was a good learning experience, and it's something that I hope I don't ever have to go through with my own kids. Mm-hmm. But if I do, I at least know a little bit better how yeah. to handle it. We'll serve them. Yes. Um, so I decide that I'm going to move out. Like I'm not going to, when I come to Midland, I'm not going to go to my grandparents' house. That's not my house anymore. Um, so me and Dustin decide, cause Dustin was moving back to Midland. He was living in Austin at the time. And so he's moving back. So we're like, we'll just find somewhere to like live together. So we end up like rooming with this person for like a couple months. It doesn't work out. And we find this little FEMA trailer, which if you don't know what a FEMA trailer is, it's like what they put, it's like temporary housing for like when there's a hurricane or a tornado or it's like. A container. A con- Yeah. And on wheels. Yes. And it's probably as big as the room we're sitting in. I mean, it is tiny, yeah. but we're paying $500 a month and we just think we are living the best life ever because we've got our own place. Yeah. And we're paying for it by ourselves. Um, but little did people know that my grandma was still buying groceries for me. Okay. She, thanks, Grandma. Because, yeah, thanks, Grandma. Because she, I was still going to school. And as long as I was going to school, they were still helping me. Yeah. So that kind of pushed me to finish school was because I didn't want to let them down because they had been helping me this whole time. And I didn't want to let them down by not finishing. Yeah. So this this whole time, we live in this FEMA trailer for like a year. And then I get really sick, probably from the FEMA trailer, because it was like moldy and had terrible insulation. And it was just awful. So um, I get really sick. Like I'm septic. I almost died oh. in, yeah, in 2018. And so grandma's prayers, grandma's prayer. Yeah. So (laughs) grandma steps in and decides you're not going to go back to that FEMA trailer. You're going to come back to our house. Yeah. Your boyfriend can figure out whatever he wants to do. um, But you're coming back with us. You're done living this way. Like you almost died. You're not going back. Yeah. So I end up going back and living with my grandparents again. And looking back now, like, that was such a weight lifted off my shoulders because I wasn't having to pay rent. I wasn't having to, you know, live on the outskirts of town where nobody would ever come see us. Like, it really lifted my spirits. And I started going to church again because I was living at home again. Yeah. So that kind of reignited my church journey. Um, but also reignited like, okay, I can, I can do this. Like I'm still, you know, of course this whole time I'm still battling depression and anxiety. It's just something I had learned kind of to live with. Mm -hmm. Um, but going back home kind of gave me a break and kind of allowed me to, in the beginning allowed me to just kind of relax for a little bit because it was summer. So I wasn't taking any classes. Mm -hmm. And so I go the next 
year and a half living at home and um, going to school. And so in 2020, I finished school and graduated with my bachelor's. And I had told my husband the whole time that once I finish school, we will move back in together. And so um, August of 2020, we moved back in together. And then I start my career. I'm like super happy. I'm going, doing all the things. And then in 2021, me and my husband get married, which was amazing. And we did it. We didn't tell anybody we were doing it. We only told um, my grandparents and his parents. And so like none of our friends knew what was happening. And so we get married in this little church in Midland and um, we go on the best honeymoon to Denver and I end up having to go home back to Alabama for a funeral in July of that year and um, found out I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. So literally two weeks after we got married, I got pregnant and which my grandma had always prayed that I would get pregnant after I got married. Sure. And I helped. It worked. It worked. I mean, um, so then um, in 2022, we had our little boy, and he is the best thing that has ever happened to me. I love it. He's the light of my life, the joy. I mean, I'm sitting here talking to you, but I'm thinking about him at the same yeah, time. Yeah, he's a doll. Yes. Um blonde hair blue eyes and he looks just like me if you ever i'll have to show you a um a picture of me as a baby Yay. he looks just like me i love it um but and now sitting here in 2023 at 26 years old i am in the best place that i've ever been doing what i love the most with the people i love the most and I can sit here and tell my story and tell my testimony and share that. But I get to walk away not feeling like heavy. Yeah. I'm able, I'm, I'm so far in my journey and in my recovery of everything that I've gone through that I can sit here and share it with you and then go home and, and it not affect me yeah the way that it used to yeah a thousand percent um it's hard i mean mom wasn't there right we didn't go far into mom but mom wasn't there and dad wasn't there that that really rocks an identity yeah and sets you it, it's just it affects your heart it does and i i can't imagine we talked about you also experienced another loss. Oh, man. In um, Loss is so hard that sometimes you push it out of your brain so you don't have to deal with it. Yeah. Um, after my husband and I got together, um, we had been together about a year. And um, I'm scrolling on Facebook, and I come across a post that says that one of my best friends had died. And I show my husband the phone and I said, I said, babe, 
I said, China's dead. Nobody knows what happened, but she's gone. And I miss her so much. She was, at the time, I was with her every, almost every day until I had moved to Sul Ross in 2017. So this was 2018. And so a year had passed, but we were both struggling when I left. And when I came back, we were both doing so good. And the devastation that I felt because there were so many unanswered questions around how and why she died mm -hmm. that we still don't have answers to today. Um, she impacted so many people's lives and still impacts lives today, even, even in her death. There are so many people that will always honor her memory. And I remember just... I remember sitting in her funeral in the church and just asking God, like, why? Why is it always the, the good ones that you have to take? Why why can it, you know, and I kind of reverted back to, to my depression, like, you know, why you didn't take me, but you're taking this amazing person? And I had to stop myself at that point and say, you know, I was I was back in my in my going to church and and being a believer and I had to stop myself and remind myself that everything happens for a reason. We go when God says it's our time. For me it wasn't my time, but for China it was her time. And I try and I have a sticker on the back of my car and it says smile like China. Mm. Because she had the, she always had the biggest smile on her face. And it's my daily reminder to live each day like China would live it, which was to the fullest. Yeah. And um, two weeks after China died, um, my husband lost his best friend mm. in, a, in an accident. And so here we are, these like two super like vulnerable people going through some of the most traumatic times in our lives and that's when we found Renew Life because the pastor from Renew Life spoke at his best friend's funeral and that kind of jump started Dustin that kind of jump started my husband and I into going back to church and getting back into the faith because we had just gone through these two tragic things and we're questioning God, why, why, why? And we found ourselves in church and it was the best thing that could have happened to us was finding renewed life. Yeah. Same. Um, because they just, they welcomed us. They, t I, and I had several conversations with the pastor's wife about, how Dustin and I were living and she said the first thing you need to do is stop living that way yeah. like a lot of your problems will probably be solved if you stop living in sin and so I just kind of blew her off for the first few months because I'm like no like we're living this way it's fine you know yeah um but it wasn't until you know I got sick and we ended up moving apart 
right. that I started seeing all of these things start to go into motion and my life kind of getting back together. Yeah. That now looking back, it's like, maybe she was right. Yeah. <laughs> maybe she true. had a point. Um, but, and I can't ever thank the people from Renew Life enough for helping me on this journey and even got to the point where my husband um, accepted Christ on a Zoom call. Mm. Um, and did you feel like while you guys were going through it, right, so you you had been struggling with depression and anxiety and all of the things, and then something like that, like death close to you mm -hmm. happens. Did you feel like you were in a better place to handle it because you had a support system and because you had been in all of this counseling and you were getting closer to God at the time? Like, did it feel different than the trauma before? It definitely felt very different. It was still very heavy, um, but I had my husband. I had my family, which they were sympathetic obviously they didn't know her but yeah. they knew that I cared a lot for her yeah um I had my therapist at the time um so everyone was a phone call away mm -hmm. and it was it was comforting to be able to pick up my phone and have multiple people that I could call and just say I'm not doing good today it's a lot it's feeling extra heavy today um, and just having Dustin there and just having my husband there um, to support and be a shoulder to cry on. And then him having to go through the same thing two weeks after. Yeah, crazy. We're finding ourselves just leaning on each other and feeling like all we have is each other. All we're going to have is each other. But n knowing that we still had really good support systems behind us and then finding the church and then having that support system behind us yeah. and then having our friends' moms be supportive too. Like that was the biggest thing. Um, even to this day, you know, I, I talk to China's mom and, and she tells me how proud she is of me and, and yeah. loves Eddie and loves our son. Um, I keep driving at home with everybody that comes on like, that support system is a must. Yes. You got to find it. If you don't have it naturally, seek it out. Yes. It's a game changer for trauma and grief and loss and suffering and pain and all the things. You've got to have your people. And if I didn't have the people that I have, I would not be anywhere near where I am today. Yeah. I would not be doing the things I'm doing. I would not be thriving and living the life that I'm living. I would not, you know, we're about to move into a house. Like we've got all these things that all these positive things that are happening in our lives. And if I could just share like one notion of positivity through this, it would be that, you know, your story's not over. God's not finished with you. Yep. He's only done when he says he's done. Yep. And that you have to keep going. You have to keep fighting. You have to find that support system and let them help you. Yeah. Don't just find it and leave them or leave them or not talk to them or not, 
you know, let them know what's going on. You have to find that support system. You have to trust that support system and you have to be vulnerable with that support system because if you're not open and honest and vulnerable with them, they're never going to know what's going on and then they can't help. Yeah. And sometimes you need that outside help because you can't do it by yourself. Absolutely. You can't. So you said that you guys started at Renew Life. Mm -hmm. Your husband came in. He got saved for the first time. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. And that changed things for you. Mm. It deepened your... Yeah, so my husband um, himself, he'll tell you, he was an atheist, didn't believe in God, didn't believe in any of that. He called it, you know, mumbo-jumbo. Yeah. Um. But during COVID, we started doing home groups, and the home groups were on Zoom. And, you know, he's, we're talking through it, and he's not, doesn't like really going, but I kind of make him go. And because, but every time after, he's always like, that was so good. You know, that message was so good, or we had such a good conversation. And so, about halfway through um, the season, um, he tells me, he's like, you know, something feels different. And so we're in the middle of the Zoom call, and they ask, the leaders of the home group ask, you know, is anyone here, you know, wanting to be saved? And I have no idea what he's about to say. And he says, I would. And he raises his hand. And I'm just, my jaw is on the floor. I'm like, are you serious right now? And I start crying because, yes, like, I'm already all I've wanted our whole relationship was to him for him to have a relationship with God like I was trying to have with God. But I knew it had to be on his own time. So we... He accepts Jesus on a Zoom call. And it was like the talk of the church for a little bit um, that somebody got saved on a Zoom call. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Like, thanks, COVID. If anything good came out of COVID, it was that my husband accepted Christ on a Zoom call. Um, And that kind of reignited my relationship again um, with Jesus because if my former atheist husband can learn to have a relationship with God and Jesus and accept that into his life, then I can work on having a better relationship with Jesus and God in my life. Yeah. And so that's when I really started to do some work on myself to make sure that we were going to church and we were involved. And then when I had my son is when I really decided that we will be in church every Sunday, we're going to do the extra stuff, you know, when we can, um, because I want my son to have a firm foundation. You want to be grounded. I say it all the time. It's coming. Yeah. These things are coming. These hard things, these, these devastating things that can lead you to thoughts of suicide, self-harm. Yeah. It will swallow you. It will. Find your people and get grounded in your faith. Like, I because at the end of the day, I mean, people are going to go, but God is going to be there mm-hmm. no matter what. Yeah. And I just think, like, I think about losing my grandparents, 
you know, yeah. I because they're older, and but I I I stop myself a lot, and I'm like, God's gonna be with me. I'm not gonna be by myself. I've got one of the best people ever looking down on me, watching over me, watching over my family. And yeah, it's going to hurt and it's going to be awful the next time that we lose somebody or the next time that I go through something that just feels like the end of the world. But it's not going to be because God's going to say that it's not going to be the end of the world. It's not the end. And having that... peace of mind that I've always got someone in my corner mm -hmm. even though I can't see them they're not here physically but I feel it yeah. I can feel it in my soul yeah. and my heart that even right now while we're talking like I can feel that he's in the room with us and he's guiding this and I just want to try and live every day for him because he has given me he gave me a second chance three times and said three times, I'm not done with you. And I just want to be the best version of myself as possible um, to make my family proud, to make myself proud, and to make God proud, even though I know God's proud of me always. Yeah. Um, getting to share his word and getting to share my testimony and getting to share with people how he saved me yeah. so many different times and how he's been with me through so many different things is the most like rewarding thing I've probably ever gotten to do. Yeah. So I'm proud of you. Thank you. That was, I mean, you've been through a lot and you didn't deserve those things. And it is hard, especially like in a seven year old mind to say like that God did this or mm -hmm. God allowed this. And a lot of people have that like perspective and until you, have an intimate relationship with God it's hard it's hard to understand those yeah. things but I know you know I know the questions are going to the right questions are going to be asked and people are going to find their way to those support system and it's going to be just like with your husband yeah it's a renewal of the mind mm -hmm. and it will come and it will happen and then you will understand yeah it's all in God's timing yes it is you can't receive it no until you can't like it's it's so hard to explain it like, is it will happen when it's meant to happen yeah. so i'm so proud of you you did such a great job thank you so much for coming oh, on absolutely i'm i'm very impressed thank you well done thank you yeah. awesome <laughs>